0: the new am 740
1: the world doesn't need another sports show it needs an awesome sports show you're listening to the naz and wally sports hour on zoomer radio good morning naz good morning wally neil the boys are back let's talk sports
2: Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual, with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Naz, good morning and welcome back. Thanks. Uh, well, I'm glad I'm back <laughs> after Certainly. that disaster in Chicago for the Blue Jays. Yeah, just uh, uh, just to recap from last week's show, Naz had called in from Wrigley Field last Sunday and uh, enjoyed a great weekend in Chicago, but you didn't bring the Toronto Blue Jays any luck when you were down there, Naz. No, but they seem to be uh, five games out
3: still, so I don't know how they do it. They lose six out of eight, and they're five games out. Just, yeah, uh, I, just a strange situation that nobody wants that wild card, the second wild card.
2: Um, you know, I take a look at the standings every now and then, and uh, from uh, from uh, Monday to Saturday, I uh, I uh, essentially uh, don't follow all the Blue Jays. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll keep an eye on what's going on, but. Uh, I to a certain extent, have almost given up hope, but you haven't, Naz, So on Sunday mornings, well, you come in and uh, you remind us of there may be a path towards the towards a wild card for the Blue Jays. Uh, it's really faint now; <laughs> it's long. getting faint. I don't know how many games are left, but they'd have to they'd have to literally, absolutely run the table, and I just can't see that happening.
3: Well, they don't have to run the table, but they've got 83 wins is going to get the wild card. Like yeah. I keep telling people that it's only four games over 500.
2: Certainly. Yeah. It seems this year mediocrity is going to get you into a wild card. 84 games. That may be the
3: 83. I think. 83. 80, that's, I, what that, that's like is.
2: two games over 500, isn't it? Yeah, that's three, pretty pitiful. That's,
3: that's four games over 500.
2: Yeah. And then you've got on, on the other, on the other, and, uh, uh, just before I go to, uh, to that thought, uh, just want to announce uh, roadmap for our show today. uh, after the first break, around nine fifteen, we'll be talking to the voice of the Buffalo Bills, John Murphy. NFL football is just around the corner. Uh, Buffalo Bills are into the thick of their uh, preseason schedule. Uh, haven't been impressing anybody so far, but uh, let's talk to John Murphy and see if there uh, where the where the positive lights are, and hopefully there are a few. And in and as i notice uh that in honor of our interview with john murphy this morning you're wearing your buffalo bills Bruce, Bruce. Bruce Smith's number 78 blue jersey. And if you're watching, uh, we live stream www.zoomerradio.ca. You can see NAS live and in living color with the Bruce Smith jersey on. Of course, what, his, a, what a lineman that guy was. Uh, Holy. It, it was something else, of course, yeah. your Toronto Maple Leafs cap as well. But going back to baseball, you know, the mediocrity seems to have set in, certainly in the American League this year. Um,. Houston seems to be the only team that, if they have separated themselves from the pack somewhat, um, they've had a pretty good year. But what a, what a phenomenal year the L.A. Dodgers are having. Isn't that incredible? 91-36 you know or no, something like that?
3: With a record like that, there's no guarantee they're going to get through. You know, it's really—that's what baseball is now. There's no guarantee. Seattle won 160, sixteen games, I think it was, in 2003-2004. And they lost first round, so you know anything can happen.
2: What's the? Uh, I mean, uh, it's difficult to follow the AL. Uh, sorry, the National League uh, uh, as as much in the, as the American League. What's been What's been the key to the LA Dodgers? Oh, what's the big have, turnaround? They
3: have timely hitting, and their pitching is awesome. Yeah, and they spend money like they just spend more money and more money and more money. It's uh, it's all
2: about money middle of the hour, we're also going to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour one of Canada's preeminent golf writers, Robert Thompson. Robert Thompson wrote uh, an interesting article, an opinion piece in the uh, Globe and Mail this week. Uh, Some uh, newsworthy developments out of the town of Oakville this week. There was an interesting council meeting on Monday night, and the council, in uh, uh, in its wisdom, decided to designate... Glen Abbey as a cultural historical site or words to that effect which impacts a significant development by uh, by Clublink who had announced that they were going to build lots of homes and 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 intensify the use and shut down Glen Abbey and the people of Oakville have a different idea what they want done with that site, so we'll certainly talk to Robert Thompson about that. And uh, and uh, as it turns out, since we have one, since we will have one of Canada's preeminent golf writers on the show, we're going to take the opportunity to talk about uh, the developments out of Ottawa yesterday, where Brooke Henderson shot the course record. Uh, shot a 63, and she's back in the hunt for the Canadian Women's Open. And
3: there, was, there was a uh, text. I, I was texted uh, during the week by a, a loyal listener about um, Laurie Kane and Mike Weir being too, uh, should be should should they retire because they're not com- competing at uh, at the level.
2: Well, um, uh, retirement in the golf world. Is uh, is um, what's what's the right words I want to use? It's 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 sometimes it's not an event, but a process. Um, You know, Mike Weir, a lot of golfers have who have had success. uh, Mike Weir's success mostly came in his 30s. And he had and he had a, a window where he was one of the top golfers in the world. He was. I think at one point, uh, right after he had won the Masters or in that time frame, he had rocketed up to third or fourth in the world. Yeah, he was pretty high. Uh, and he was in contention in a lot of different places at a lot of different times. And then that window of opportunity closed. Um, although training and nutrition and all that kind of stuff has changed, uh, historically golfers, once they hit their 40s, um, weren't as competitive and the, the the ones that are competitive in tournaments are the exception especially in majors are the exception to the rule although that's changing and the other th- difficulty with Mike Weir is time sort of passed him by in the sense that these courses became so long and the kids that came up were, were such long hitters it became very difficult for him to compete um, but they don't retire so they get sponsors exemptions they fight their way into tournaments, and, and I don't want to be critical of Mike Weir because he has arguably arguably Canada's greatest male golfer of all time, uh, certainly in the top three, uh, George Knudsen, Mo Norman, Al Balding, a few others, but certainly the argument, very easy argument, that he's the top male Canadian golfer of all time. Um, he's I, I guess he's, he's trying to maintain his competitive urges for golf, and he's going to hit the seniors' tour. And a lot of them, between the ages of, let's say, 42, 43 to the age of 50, they have to maintain their competitiveness, but they don't really compete. Um, you never see him in the top 10. It almost seems like an accomplishment when they make the cut. But he may, he may and he's had some injury problems as well, Mike Weir, let's, let's be fair. Uh, he will, you know, when he, when he, when he hits 50, and if he's still got that competitive urge, you know, you know, and the courses are a little bit shorter when they're playing on the seniors tour, we may see a rejuvenation in his game. I certainly hope so.
3: Yeah, Stephen Ames went on the uh, yeah. senior tour and is doing very well there.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm not exactly sure how old Mike Weir is, or how far he is away from the seniors tour. But I, my guess I'd imagine is imagine he's two three years. He's away. probably two three two three years away, and don't know if if that's what he wants to do. I, I do know that he's still you know where he has exemptions, he plays, uh, he still tries to compete out there. Every now and then he has some good rounds. Uh seems to have difficulty putting four uh good rounds together, but uh you know, a lot of other golfers have the same problem. So uh Mike Weir, Laurie Kane, should they retire? Uh no. I you know, I'd like to see him keep playing. There's a senior store. Um there isn't for women, so right. Uh, it's a good question. I don't I don't I'm not care. sure. It's, if there is, it's certainly not as prominent. Uh uh, but Lori Kane, uh, you know, we hit two names, certainly one of the great women golfers of all time in Canada. Uh, Sandra Post, Marlene Stewart Street, uh, in that conversation, obviously. Um, no, we, it's, it's nice to see them keep playing. I mean, I, I think we accept them for what they can perform out there. We're not critical of them because they can't win. They don't can't, not that they can't win, they don't win tournaments anymore. Uh, they are two of Canada's great. It's always a pleasure to see them play. I, I don't want to see them retire. I agree. Certainly not. And uh, going back, we've got a few minutes before our first break, and uh, there's an event that happened last night. We should, I guess we should touch on it for a couple of minutes, Naz. I know we, Uh-oh. before the show, we both decided we had very little interest, but... One reporter that I read this morning in one of the papers said it was the greatest sporting spectacle of the 21st century. Are you kidding me? Of course, I'm talking about Conor McGregor. Uh, is it Floyd Mayweather? Floyd. Mayweather. No, Floyd. Right. Yeah. Whatever. I, you know, I used to, you know, Naz and I, you know, we we've been doing this uh, in this in this incarnation for four years, but we did it uh, we did it in our previous incarnation back in the 70s. Um, we used to be big, big boxing fans. Um, um, this, this event came in, uh, the results probably came in after I was, uh, hit the sack last night, but I personally had no interest in McGregor Mayweather. I thought it was a staged event. I thought it had no sporting relevance whatsoever. Um, uh, and I guess the, the result that ended up having the result, which was, you know, Mayweather was, was playing in his, in his ring and, and he won the fight. Uh, but McGregor, you know what, I, I've only read reports, I haven't seen any of it, uh, hung in there for 10 rounds, so I guess you've got to give him credit.
3: How does an, uh, uh, a virtually untrained boxer go into the ring with a Mayweather and last 10 rounds? What does that say about boxing these days, Walt?
2: Well, it says, what it says about boxing is boxing isn't what it used to be, number one. Uh, Mayweather is, by the purists, some purists suggest that he may be the best boxer of all time as a boxer. Mm-hmm. I think he's 40 years old, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he's almost in t- he's almost impossible to touch or to hit during during I mean he's the ultimate uh, p- um technician in the ring. Uh McGregor is just an MMA guy. The problem is we're showing I think Naz our our generational uh uh, where where we fall in the generational spectrum I know you're not an MMA guy or and I'm not an MMA guy I just don't find uh, those that sport if that's what you want to call it uh, and if even, is that what it is MMA mixed martial mixed arts martial or arts, yeah. UFC is what
3: you, it's a, Anyways it's we're showing the our the bottom
2: line is we're showing our age right and the young people certainly have a different perspective um, and that may be why boxing has been on the decline because the younger generation have, uh, have taken over and they find MMA more appealing than boxing for whatever reason. Um, and you know, McGregor, uh, and Mayweather were a fit in terms of, uh, physique and, and weight class. So, some promoters thought they could make a lot of money putting and this all did. together, and, and, I, and it sounds to me like they did. They generated a lot of interest, um, and uh, you know Mayweather on a TKO in the tenth round ended up uh, ended up uh, winning the fight, and uh, certainly we will draw the conversation at that. We've got to move on to other things in the show. We're going to go to break right now. We'll be back right after the break with John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills, and later on in the show, one of Canada's preeminent golf writers, Robert Thompson.
0: It was a rainy day when Pizzaville brought back the large five-topping pizza special for just $13.99 for a limited time. I'm whispering because the last time Pizzaville brought back this special, there was pandemonium in the streets, pushing, shoving, biting. So order now and order often, and hopefully you won't have any bite marks when this is over. Call Pizzaville for the large five-topping pizza special at pound 3636 from your cell phone. Shhh.
3: There's an old saying: entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them every day. They've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigobon Carly, the intelligent choice.
4: Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice.
1: From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio.
2: Good morning and welcome back to the Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're on the new AM 740, downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM, and also on the internet, live streaming at www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome back to the Wally Sports Hour from One Bill's Drive, the voice of the Buffalo Bills, John Murphy. Good morning, John. How are you?
5: Good morning, fellas. I'm good, thank you. Sorry for... Uh, uh, I- totally uh screwed up your show last week but i'm okay and i'm here to here to do it today i, I apologize for last
2: no week. no 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 uh don't don't worry about it john we're pleased to have you and thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it uh john uh nfl season's about to start soon uh, as you we've chatted quite a bit about the buffalo bills in the past uh, in previous uh pre-season shows uh naz is he was the eternal optimist as. uh I think last year picked the Bills and the and the Seahawks to go to the uh, the Super Bowl. That didn't happen. Just so that you're aware, John, um, as I'm sure you know, Naz and I are Buffalo fans. Naz is proudly wearing his Buffalo Bills number 78 Bruce Smith jersey this morning <laughs> in honor of the interview with John Murphy. So, I uh, just thought I'd let that one Uh, go, but uh, getting to and both of us watched watched the preseason game last night against the Ravens and the Bills have not had a great preseason, but I'm not so sure that matters in any great respect but I think what does matter uh, we'd like to get a positive spin about what's about to happen, but quite frankly, John um, I'm not so sure that uh, uh, we have the same optimism perhaps that we've had going into other seasons, so we'll let you Tell us where where we think some positive uh um uh, things may come out of the bills this year.
5: Oh, okay. Well I mean it hasn't been there hasn't been a whole lot of positive going on for the last couple of weeks. Uh, it was funny. Um about a week and a half into camp, um we were doing our radio show down here, we actually at training camp in Rochester and talking about how quiet a camp it had been, how business like it had been, not a whole lot of news and I think most of us who uh or around the team thought that was a pretty good development. And then things started happening just a couple of weeks ago. They they signed Anquan Bolden. He subsequently retired after less than two weeks. They traded away Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby with an eye towards getting some draft picks uh, for next year. They uh, they played three preseason games, lost them all, all three preseason games. They, um, you know, they have the Marcel Darius incident uh, from last night, and Tyrod Taylor comes up with a uh, concussion last night. So the last couple of weeks have been have been kind of downers for the Bills, including three preseason, preseason losses. But there are, you know, silver linings. Uh, the most significant one, I think, is the resurgence of the Buffalo defense. And I think most of us who uh, pay attention to this team realize that the last two years, the biggest biggest failings were not the quarterback and, and not the, on the offensive side of the ball, but they were defensively. And if you look uh, for, for whatever, you know, take whatever you want out of preseason football, the results, you know, don't matter, obviously. The one-loss record's don't matter but um what matters is what kind of what you see and what you see from the buffalo defenses is is a return to the way they were a couple of years ago you know they're giving up less than 2.7 yards per rush for the opponents that's the entire defense first team second team third team the first team defense in particular has been outstanding uh guys like preston brown playing great football kyle williams up front um jerry hughes seems to be back and comfortable and happy so uh, amidst all the gloom and doom, and there is some of that, I would, I would say that the uh, the return of the Buffalo defense that was pretty dominant uh, before Rex Ryan came, came here is uh, maybe the best thing that has happened to the Bills through these first three preseason games.
3: What about the, uh, John, what about uh, the offense now? Uh, I, I, I was telling Wally this morning just before the show that I was impressed with their defense also, and uh, you brought that up. What about the offense
5: Well, it hasn't been good. Um, You know, a lot of it now is going to be uh, colored now because of the injury to Tyrod Taylor. I think many of us, me in particular, went into last night's game knowing that the first team offense had not played well. They hadn't been in the end zone yet. And we're looking for last night's game in Baltimore to be sort of the the start of who they'll be offensively. And it didn't happen right off the the hop. You know, it didn't happen at all. And Tyrod struggled and then left uh, just five minutes into the game. Um, it remains to be seen, you know, what his status will be. I think it's it was always unlikely uh that he was going to play in the fourth preseason game coming up this Thursday, and I think that's doubly so now because of the uh, injury, because of the concussion to Tyrod, and and we'll see where it goes. I I'm, I haven't I've seen no prognosis of when he'll be back, how serious the concussion is, but I guess I would be surprised if he were not able to play on September 10th. But it's not just the quarterback, you know. They've had major upheaval in their wide receiving ranks. Um Tyrod had been trying to work some chemistry with, uh, with the new receiving core, and obviously that's a shot with him uh, suffering the injury last night. You would think that that's going to be delayed. But, um, you know, we were looking for signs from uh, rookie Zay Jones and Andre Holmes, a veteran. They, they traded and acquired Jordan Matthews, who got hurt in his first practice. And even though he's not scheduled to be ready to play September 10th, he has yet to see any game action for the Bills. So all of that, you know, cohesion in the passing offense and, and uh, settled quarterback play and significant quarterback play we have yet to see through the first three preseason games. And finally, the offensive line, I think, has been a struggle, um, you know, they especially in pass protection. They've uh, tried out a couple of people that uh, right guard, Vlad Dukas and uh, John Miller. Not sure uh, which one it'll be. I have a feeling it might be Miller as a starter on September 10th. They've, uh, you know, kind of nursed uh, Cordy Glenn through a nagging injury, foot injury through preseason, and I think all signs are he'll be ready to go September 10th, but they've also got significant playing time for a rookie uh, second-round draft pick, Deion Dawkins, during that time. So uh, it's just unsettled on offense. It hasn't been good, hasn't been productive. There have been flashes from LaShawn McCoy that he is ready to go, and and it really uh, looks as good as ever from the running back spot. But offensive line, quarterback play, and just a a new cast of characters of wide receivers, made it pretty unsettled on the offensive side of the ball. You'd like it to be more settled and more cohesive this late into preseason, but that's not going to be the case.
3: Under Rex Ryan, uh, they went run first all the time. Will they be doing that? It'll be more of a run attack than a passing attack also this year? Oh, yeah.
5: I think yeah, I think, I think so, for sure. Yeah, I think that's, that was the plan all along, um, and I think uh, it's a good plan because they've led the league in rushing the last two years, getting significant contributions from Tyrod Taylor in the running game, but They're a good run-blocking offensive line. They've demonstrated that with Richie Incognito and Eric Wood and Cordy Glenn when he's healthy. They do a good job up front. So, yeah, I think that was the plan. They need more balance on offense, Uh, and that's you know not that you know they were productive offensively. They top ten in scoring last year, but they need more balance. You know, you have to have a passing game, or or your running game will suffer. Teams will uh, load up the box and not allow you to to uh, run the football by putting an extra man down in the box. So. Um I, that's what they're striving for. As I said, they haven't been able to accomplish that yet in preseason but I do think they're going to be a a team that focuses on running the football effectively.
2: We're talking to John Murphy. John Murphy's, of course, the voice of the Buffalo Bills and host of the John Murphy Show on WGR Radio 550. Uh, John, uh, it seems like uh, it was yesterday we we chatted and we were excited about Rex Ryan coming to Buffalo, and uh, I still remember the conversation we had after Rex came in on his first uh, first press conference and everybody was all excited in that uh unfortunately uh for buffalo bills fans didn't work out all that well for a myriad of different reasons it seems like the buffalo bills have now become a little bit of the carolina panthers north uh brandon bean and sean mcdermott tell us a little bit about brandon and sean and uh what their uh what their strengths are and what difference that they seem to be uh, making with the buffalo bills franchise
5: yeah um they do, you know, those two in particular seem to work in lockstep, which is pretty good. You know, um, they're both very detail-oriented, organized, uh, you know, very uh, focused on on all the um, you know, nitty-gritty details, which certainly was not Rex Ryan's strength, and I think that's the number one change that you see. You know, everything is thought out, planned out, Um, there's a reason for everything they do. Um, They are uh, meticulous in, in their vision, I think, for the team, and and what they want this team to look like. And, and it, you know, it's not going to be easy. Uh, I think, you know, they're trying to affect a, a culture change and uh, trying to reverse a, more than a decade and a half of, uh, you know, uh, futility for the most part. And, that, and that's not going to be uh, easy for them to do. But um, there, we're in the early stages of it. Uh, I'm impressed by Coach McDermott's vision for what he wants, the type of player he wants, the type of people he wants around him. Uh, I You know, I was talking to uh, – colleague last night after you know the third preseason loss about what a test this is for first year first time head coach sean mcdermott if you look at the last couple of weeks you know that to, to lose your starting quarterback to a uh, to a concussion to uh, have arguably your most talented defensive player uh, defy team rules and have to send him home from a game last night to uh, you know to, to trade away a couple of your starters including a uh, um, uh, sammy watkins who has potential to be a tremendous performer in the league to uh Just, you know, injuries, a couple of key critical injuries in preseason. Um, It's been a a rough couple of weeks for Sean McDermott, and uh, having never done the job, this will be a test of his leadership ability and how he handles uh, adversity. I think he's going to be okay because I I see a kind of a a cool, calm demeanor from McDermott, and they focus on what's ahead as opposed to what's gone on before, and I think that will serve him well. But certainly these cannot be easy days for uh, the head coach Sean McDermott right now.
3: John, I want to talk to you about uh, a certain quarterback, the quarterback for San Francisco last year, Kaepernick. And um, my opinion is that there's a shortage of NFL quarterbacks. Why is this guy not signed?
5: Well, I think it's <clears throat> two reasons. It's number one, probably number one is his political stance, and number two is the fact that he has had not played well in a couple of years. Um, you know, Bill's running back, LaShawn McCoy, talked about it late last week, Thursday, in the Buffalo locker room, and... Uh, I think he, uh, without you know, casting judgment, I think what Sean McCoy called it what it is, it's if he were good enough, if he were talented enough, teams would accept the controversy that comes along with Colin Kaepernick and sign him to the roster, uh, which is not to say that uh, he hasn't been wronged. I think he has. I think he is uh, viewed probably as toxic by many NFL uh, owners in particular who don't want the baggage, You know, don't want the controversy and discussions about his protests his uh, peaceful, uh, I think fairly effective protest during the National Anthem last year, but teams don't want that on their roster if his talent doesn't outweigh it, and I think that's where he's at. That said, I think he'll be on a roster eventually this year. Um, I'm not sure if it'll happen before the season kicks off, uh, because there there is such a dearth of quarterback talent in the NFL. Um, I'm not a fan of the way he plays. I I, uh, I saw what he did with the Niners and took him to the Super Bowl, but I think he has regressed as a player. I think he is uh, limited in how he plays, and I'm certain many football people see the same thing. So they probably look at it and say, you know, do we, will this guy fit in what we want to do? Does he help us at all, even as a backup? And along with that, on the side are all of these issues and all of the protests that one would anticipate coming along with uh, signing Colin Kaepernick. So that's what's held him back. Is it is it blackballing? I don't know. I I guess, I guess it is to a certain extent, but... Um, the NFL has made accommodations for players who uh, have had far greater transgressions than Colin Tal- Kaepernick, um, mostly because of, you know, the talent outweighs the controversy.
2: We're talking to John Murphy, uh, John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills. John, uh, uh, we're going to let you go, uh, and we thank you so much. But before we let you go, we're going to do what we always do with you before the, before the season starts. We're going to ask you for some uh, – going to look into your crystal ball. Oh. Tell, oh. Us what, tell us what you think the Bills record will be at the end of the season, and tell us who you expect to be in the Super Bowl. Oh.
5: <laughs> Sorry for putting you on the spot. Yeah, no, I mean, I've waited a lot. I mean, I had a sense before uh, the preseason game started of where I thought the Bills would be, and, and the, honestly, things have not gone well in preseason for them. Um, you know, the trade, training away Sammy Watkins in particular has uh, not made them a better team this year, but I understand why they did it, and it's, it was an eye in the future. But I would say they're going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, seven wins or so, which certainly is not good enough and is not going to get the job done. A couple of weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I might have had it up at eight or nine wins. Um, a lot of people get hung up. I know the schedule is so tough, but I maintain that NFL is really a week-to-week league. And we have no idea right now what the, the schedule is going to look like in week three or week four and who's playing well and who's hurt and who's got their quarterback healthy. And so I, that that doesn't, uh, to me, is not much of a factor to look deep, you know, into the season and say what's the schedule going to play, how's it going to play out. So I'm picking seven wins, which uh, is not going to be uh, – uh, you know anything that Bills fans will welcome after so long a, a playoff drought, but I think they're in the process of changing the the culture here, and it's it's gonna there's gonna be some pain associated with it. I think that's where they're at. Super Bowl predictions. I mean, it's hard to go against New England based on what they've done and what their approach seems to be this off season. Hard to pick against them. Uh, and in the NFC, I still think the Green Bay Packers have, uh, uh, with Aaron Rodgers, have at least one more run at it, and. uh, supposed to be my two Super Bowl picks, I guess. No, I'm Green Bay. We've
2: been talking to John Murphy. John, uh, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, as the season progresses, uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll catch up and we'll see how the bill seasons and we'll chat further as the season goes along. Thanks so much.
5: You're welcome, fellas. Absolutely. Thank you.
2: Thanks, John Murphy. Uh, uh, I want to go back to that point you just uh, you brought up Naz, about Colin Kaepernick. And I know... You know, on on the show, we tend to we tend to shy away from political discussions because, you know, uh, it's almost like you get into that and you know that maybe half the people are going to be in agreement with your opinion and half the people are going to be insulted with your opinion. Uh, so we, we tend to stay away from that. Um, but, you know, I, I think my personal opinion on this Kaepernick situation is starting to evolve somewhat. Um I think he does deserve a job in the NFL somewhere. I think he's qualified. Uh, he hasn't had the best seasons the last couple of years. But are you really telling me that he's not good enough to be a backup somewhere in the NFL? Come on. He is. For sure. Okay. And his politics? Maybe even a starter in some teams. In some teams. Um I get the part about the I get the part where a general manager or a coach doesn't want a distraction on his team. And you know, in the end of it, this is this is a place of employment. And do you want your players making political statements in your place of employment that may offend uh, a good deal of the people who are coming and paying for the ticket that only want to come and watch a football game and don't want to watch a political demonstration? Um, that would have been my opinion. I would have sided with the owners. I, my opinion, I think, on this is evolving somewhat. And my opinion is, if I'm a if I'm a paying customer at a Buffalo Bills game, uh, all I want is the best team on the field. And and if and if one of the players wants to make a silent political demonstration by just kneeling. I'm not so sure I'm terribly offended by that and and if I am offended by it I I guess I can choose to ignore him Um, and he's making a political statement that a lot of people in the United States agree with Uh, there are significant issues in in minority communities that need to be addressed Uh, without getting further into those uh, I I think somebody should sign Colin, Colin Kaepernick I think he's a good football player and it and is capable still playing in the NFL. Uh, Last, Naz, final thoughts on that uh, particular issue before we go to the break.
3: Well, it's true that if, if the guy was a better quarterback, I'd say in ability. Like, we look at the quarterback that played for the Eagles, Michael Vick, and how many chances he got, right? And he did, that's far worse, what Michael Vick did, to what Kaepernick
2: has done. So how do you compare? How do you, how do you judge? But the, the 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 you raise an interesting point because then we're forced into a uh, an assessment of the, the relativity of the offense. Yeah. Okay. Michael Vick's offenses were generally because he was cruel to animals. Fair enough. Nobody's nobody supports that, and he paid the price for that. Colin Kaepernick is just trying to bring light. To an issue that has existed in American society since America has existed, uh, and um, the issue is not that he has the right to to do that. Is that the right place to do it? And and that's I think that's the only issue there. Um, the argument is often is often made that it offends veterans. Uh, when you don't, st- Americans are very patriotic. And, you know, as an outsider, you know, as, you know, being Canadian and just being an outsider viewing how Americans uh, feel about uh, their nation, um, there are a lot of Americans who take the national anthem very to heart. Yeah. They take their flag to heart. Uh, and if somebody does not stand up during that certain ceremony, they find it as a sign of disrespect, rightly or wrongly. Um, uh, I have no doubt that Colin Kaepernick has the right to freely express his views, um, but he's doing it in his place of employment, where it can have maximum effect, where he is, uh, whether we like it or not, he is offending a lot of people who have paid to be there, um, that's the issue uh my, you had asked me a couple of months ago i would have said i'm not in favor of it you ask me now i think I've, i think i've changed my opinion you know what you want to kneel during the national anthem if you're offended by it just ignore him uh because whatever he does in that football stadium he's allowed to do it as soon as he sets foot outside that football stadium if you don't want to stand for the national anthem that's your right um uh, you're you're expressing your views uh, if, if that's insulting me, I'm just going to ignore you. Uh, but enough said about that. Uh, we're going to go to break. We'll be right back after the break with Ro- one of Canada's preeminent golf writers, Robert Thompson.
0: It was a rainy day when Pizzaville realized that people may not know how many different kinds of ponzos Pizzaville makes. You can go Italian if you like a sausage. You can go Hawaiian if you like ham and pineapple. And you can go Canadian if you like bacon, beer, and hockey. We can build a ponzo that speaks your language. No matter where you are from. Call Patesaville at 736-3636 or visit patesaville.ca. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues. Price and cost. Most prices are competitive. We'll likely save you money too. But the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey.
4: Experience the difference that makes
1: Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio.
2: Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour one of Canada's preeminent golf writers, Robert Thompson. Good morning, Robert. morning. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, what attracted uh, our attention is uh, a story I've uh, a little bit near and dear to my heart. And uh, you wrote an interesting article in the Globe, in Toronto's Globe and Mail this week, the national newspaper, uh, about some uh, an event that transpired at the town of Oakville uh, in terms of how they are dealing with a development proposal by Clublink who want to develop. Glen Abbey. And to make a long story short, Oakville Council, presumably in a very heated council meeting, uh, issued what is legally known as a notice of intention to designate under the Ontario Heritage Act, which essentially in the short term freezes development of Glen Abbey on the basis that it's an historical site. Uh, Robert, I will uh, I will set out my bias at the uh, not, not so much a bias, but uh, I'm a, I'm a, a paying member of Clublink. I've played Glen Abbey numerous amount of times. I have I have some personal opinions on the golf course, which the uh, residents of Oakville may not find uh, uh, to their liking. But let's talk about your article and give us a little recap on your assessment of what's what the goings on are down in Oakville.
6: Well, I'd preface this by saying I spent some time this summer um, as an expert witness in an Ontario Municipal Board case about a property in northern Ontario that was being they were attempting, a a group of people were attempting to designate as a heritage landscape, which is essentially what they're trying to do with Glen Abbey. It doesn't necessarily preclude you from developing the site, but it makes it much more difficult. So um, I'd I'd done an inordinate amount of reading and research and uh, writing on the subject in the months heading into the point where the Globe had asked me, if I had a perspective on this latest development with Glen Abbey. Uh, um, certain- I mean, the essence of it is, is exactly as you describe it. There's a battle over development of Glen Abbey. Ray Sahi, who's the owner of Clublink, um, senses that there's a lot of money to be made by developing the site, which is, you know, given everybody knows real estate prices in Toronto have slowed considerably in the last bit, but it is still a you know, a hugely valuable piece of property if you put 3,000 units on it, is what I think they are have, they're, you know, almost 3,000 homes that they're expecting to just put on the upper holes of Glen Abbey. So not the valley holes that, that are arguably the most famous part of the property, um, the ones that go down by the creek, but the ones that are sort of up top. Um, the there's, This has been hotly contested. Uh, so a lot of people feel that, you know, the golf course should be, Uh, maintained and there should be houses and they're concerned about it. I I don't actually think that the people who are arguing against the development of Glen Abbey really care whether it's designated a heritage site or really care whether Tiger Woods famously hit a six iron out of the bunker on the 18th hole. They just don't want it to be developed and it's their method. The heritage designation is a method of slowing that. I don't think they really care about the heritage of it at all.
2: Yeah, my my sense of it is that this is just part of the negotiation that... um, and in the, with the greatest respect and the heartfelt opinions of uh, of the Oakville residents, um, uh, many uh, some of whom have uh, uh, tweeted me uh, uh, suggesting that perhaps we're we're not going to tell the whole story on this show, and to be fair we did I did put a call into the mayor's office to see if he wanted to to talk to us on the show. We didn't hear back from him, but uh, is it your sense? At all that this is nothing but part of the negotiation to for the town of Oakville to get Club Link back to the negotiating table to say, look, guys, uh, 3,222 units on this site with nine, nine to 12-story buildings may be a little bit too intense for this site, and maybe we need to scale that back a bit. Is that what this is all about?
6: Everything in, in real estate development is a negotiation, right? That's a yeah. sort of part of the course on this one. but. Yeah, I suspect that's certainly part of the discussion on this is an attempt to, but that's some municipalities' work. I don't actually believe, um, you know, Oakville's mayor, um, Mr. Burton, actually cares about Glen Abbey at all. Um, I think what he cares about is being perceived to be on the right side of how this plays out. So um, my feeling would be that he'd probably be okay with it if it goes either way, but he has to hedge his bets and be perceived as. Uh, you know necessarily siding with 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 stakeholders and with the potential voters should mr Sahi's development proposal lose on the other hand, if he wins doesn't Oakville come out in some ways ahead? think about all the development fees that come out of this, all the extra tax base that comes out of those thirty two hundred units you mentioned like there's a there's an upside either way to this. yes, I think it, it potentially causes some considerable concern about traffic and other things. I had understood it's my understanding from most how, most cities, maybe the exception of London, Ontario, where I am now. But most cities, the goal is to add density, not to you know they want they want areas where where so you're not spreading the city out, you're actually adding density to to core areas. Um, you know that's un- unfortunately to the detriment of Glen Abbey. But as I say in the column, I had I don't think Glen Abbey's a great golf course. I don't think Glen Abbey's been a great golf course for some time. I think that. Uh, I played it actually this week, so um, and I played a pretty good game. I enjoyed the. I enjoyed the experience. Golf course was in nice shape. I think there are half a dozen really good golf holes on the golf
2: course. I, I I would agree with you, and in the other sense that I mean, this is just what's happening with golf courses in the Greater Toronto Area right now. Glen Abbey isn't standing out on its own. We are losing Copper Creek, we are losing York Downs. We are using what used to be known as the uh, losing what used to be known as the board of trade, yep. and that's just the way of the world, isn't it? And in terms of, I haven't. I mean, one one of the uh, one of the listeners drew to my attention a tweet that I should read the Glenn, the reports about uh, what makes Glen Abbey historic. I mean, I've been watching golf there since 1978 or, or thereabouts, and I've played Glen Abbey. Um, I haven't played in the last couple of years cause I just get frustrated when I play there cause the round takes forever. Um, I, 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 look at that course, I try to compare it to some of the other courses I've played in the world. I don't find a lot of it, of Glen Abbey historic. I really don't. I, I, I what arguments are they making that this is an historic piece of property?
6: I, I think so a couple of, I, I think you raised some astute points on that, um, if you look historically, by the way, at the Greater Toronto Area, there are big golf courses that have disappeared for development for a hundred years. I mean, people forget Toronto Golf Club, for example, which is now in Mississauga, um, you know, just says of the QE was at Girard and, and Coxwell essentially. That's where it was. Why did it move in in the, you know 1910, 1911? It moved because there was pressure on the land. They wanted the land for housing. <laughs> you know, it's the old St. Andrew's Golf Club, which was on Yonge Street in Toronto, which held the Canadian Open, which famously was one of the first public golf courses to allow African-Americans to play it. Um, it disappeared for exactly the same reason. So, you know, golf courses take up a lot of space, and they tend to it continually move to the outskirts of the cities. There's obviously some exceptions, St. George's, Islington, uh, Rosedale, etc. but largely that's been the case. Um, you know, as per the, the what they consider historic. If you look at there's a report um, by uh, a fellow with expertise in landscape architecture, which you know I have a I have an ex, I have an interest in golf courses. I, I wouldn't I don't consider myself an expert in landscape architecture, but their argument is, you know, that the their general routing of the golf course is unique because of the sort of spokes on a wheel approach where a lot of the holes come back to the clubhouse. I don't know. I've seen a lot of golf courses, so that's happened. That doesn't seem to be truly unique to Glen Abbey. Um, and then they get down to the nuances of some of the greens. So they, they center out, for example, the 17th green, which I think is one of the worst <laughs> greens I've ever seen uh, as, a, as you know, being historically yeah. interesting and unique. And and it might be unique in the same way that something awful could be unique. But, uh that, that is essentially their contention. And so they have, there are some elements that, they, that people can sort of nitpick apart and say, yeah, this is a unique design. And it is truly Jack Nicklaus's first essentially solo design. Um, and so maybe it has some historical significance in that regard. But if the golf course doesn't suit the purposes of the modern game, for which they really need it for the Canadian Open, uh, I don't understand the, the notion. You know, golf courses at, its, at their core are playing fields. They're, you know they' if they don't serve uh, serve their purpose as a place for you and I to play the game if they don't work at that level um, or they aren't exceptional on that level I'm not really sure where they come down to being historic
2: we're talking to Robert Thompson one of Canada's preeminent uh, golf writers and 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 since we're on the topic of Glen Abbey uh, Robert I, I I want to get into a conversation that uh, we've had on this show a few times and and, and fascinating it Uh, I saw some information that came out yesterday that impacts this particular discussion. That, of course, is the Canadian Open, why it has become uh, what I would call a second-grade tournament on the PGA Tour when it once used to be considered the fifth major. Um, I ascribe a lot of that to the fact that they stopped moving the tournament around the country, uh, and, and the pros don't like Glen Abbey. Uh, but now I'm hearing reports that uh, the RCGA and Club Link are in negotiations to do to move it to Rattlesnake as its permanent hope.
6: Well, that has been the discussion point. I mean
2: and, – And just so that our listeners yeah. understand, Rattlesnake is also a Club Link course that is situated in Milton on Highway 25.
6: Right. So, I think you have to. It could be a long discussion about what's happened with the Canadian Open. But in essence, you know, there are tier one PJ Tour events and there are tier two PJ Tour events. And, you know, to be honest, the Canadian Open in that sort of tier two list doesn't stack up so badly against some of the others. It's just so difficult these days to get the best players in the world to come to um, all the tournaments because they don't do it. When you look at they have the majors, they have, you know, a handful of invitationals like um, Jack's event at Muirfield or, or Arnie's event at. Uh, Bay Hill, and then you have the World Golf Championship events, and you end up at 15 or 16 events really quickly. And then they fill it in with three or four or five other events. And, you know, sometimes the Canadian Open is part of that, and sometimes it's not. Um, And that's been proven to be a a significant hurdle to overcome, and I'm not sure there is a way to overcome it. RBC has done, in my estimation, a pretty good job through its Team RBC program of skirting uh, rules that would be about pay-for-play, um so they get you know they've had good players out there this year they had the world number 1 player at at the tournament and that's you know that that's something that's certainly that's certainly worth noting but um as for the the rattlesnake element I I mean I disagree with you on the on moving it around and I've been to the tournaments where they've moved it around lately for the Canadian Open they've gone to to Royal Montreal and they've gone to St. Georges and they've gone to Hamilton and they've gone to Shaughnessy in Vancouver um the problem with most of those, while those golf courses are fine and those clubs are great, um, in almost every instance, people didn't come to see them. So for whatever reason, even though Adam Hadwin was nearly, you know, nearly won the Canadian uh, Open in Shaughnessy in Vancouver, and he was a local guy and everything, people didn't come to see that. Um, when they played in Montreal a couple of years ago at the uh, at Royal Montreal, famous golf course, you know, famous for the Presidents Cup and Mike Weir beating Tiger Woods, people didn't come. Um, when they played it at St. George's, arguably the best golf course in the country, um, you know, located right in Toronto and went to some difficulty to setting that golf course up to be, allow them to come and play it, you know, having to close Islington and so on, people didn't come. So they've concluded basically that the only way for Golf Canada uh, to make money doing the Canadian Open is to have it basically in a set position. You know, it doesn't mean you won't move it every four or five years once, but this isn't the U.S. Open. The USGA has... So the resources are limitless compared to what Golf Canada has. So Golf Canada can't afford to lose a million dollars a year moving the Canadian Open around. so they'd rather have it in a singular spot. And there have been a few spots kicked around. You know, there's been discussion about a uh, uh, location in Burlington where Club Link owns a golf course called Hidden Lakes. Um, is potentially redeveloping that into a home for the Canadian Open. Um, there's been discussion about a site next to Eagles Nest, which is in Vaughan, um, where they might develop a handful of practice holes, a new practice facility, and a home for Golf Canada, and use Eagles Nest as a home for the Canadian Open. And finally, this thing that surfaced just at the end of last week, uh, this discussion about redeveloping Rattlesnake, which I feel is a pretty marginal golf course. Um, you know, it's a high end private golf course but I played it a handful of times and I can't remember any of the holes and uh, with the nice clubhouse what the, the, the discussion the initial discussion with the city of Milton is that they would uh, take 18 of the there's 36 holes there now take 18 out of the play uh, redevelop 18 and build some houses around it and that seems to be the deal that club link has struck with uh, with with the city of Milton on that regard, but that doesn't actually necessarily mean that that's where the Canadian Open will go. Um, I still think that that's my sources, are, which are usually pretty good on this, um, say that's far from a certainty.
3: Robert, isn't it true, though, that uh, the RBC sponsorship of about a dozen players coming into uh, Glen Abbey help draw it as a reasonably good uh, tournament? If, the, if RBC was not involved, I would be scared to see what the uh, lineup would look like.
6: Oh, 100%. It's, it's a testament to RBC and their process of thinking about this, so that, that they've got the field that they do, right? Because in the PGA Tour, you can't pay appearance fees on, like, the European Tour, where, you know, if you really want Tiger Woods to come, as we've seen in tournaments in Dubai in the past, you could pay to get Tiger Woods there. You could pay to get Roy McIlroy there. Um, you don't do that at the can't do that in the pj tour but what they've essentially done is created a, a workaround um you know, i'd argue that some of those guys aren't as competitive as they used to be and they probably need to revisit that um but nonetheless i think it's uh, it's exactly what you, what you're saying the, the field has been buoyed up by rbc's um creativity in some regards
2: we've been talking to robert thompson robert we're just about to run out of time but we're going to ask you for a 10 second prediction brooke henderson who's currently canada's greatest golfer Does she win today? No. (laughs) That's not the answer I wanted, Robert.
6: (laughs) Let's let's hope so, but I don't think so. I think... I think it's, it's a lot of pressure for a Canadian to, to win their National Open. I've seen a lot of guys would, wilt, a lot of male players wilt under. Maybe she Maybe she's got something they didn't have. I, I hope she wins, but I don't think she will.
2: I hope you're wrong. Robert, listen, I, I want to I wanna thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we, uh, it's more so myself than Naz. I, uh, I always enjoyed talking golf with somebody else who's, who's uh, obviously a preeminent golf writer and a passion for it. And at some point, I'm going to call you back because I want to know which holes at Glencairn you don't like.
6: Any, anytime you want. I'm gonna call you back. I played.
2: I know you played it. I think it was Friday, and I, I, Glenn Cairns on my is on my rotation, uh, and I played it yesterday morning. So I, I want to find out from somebody who has uh, a passion for golf which particular holes on that course he doesn't like. Listen, Robert, this has been fun. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. That was uh, Robert Thompson uh, talking about Glen Abbey, talking about the Canadian Open. Uh, Naz, uh, we've only got a couple of minutes on the show, and uh, last week, a couple of weeks, we've, we haven't talked hockey. It's hard to believe. But uh, I guess in August, it's difficult to find a hockey story or a Toronto Maple Leaf story. But we actually have one this week. So why don't we finish the show with that? So bring us up to speed on uh, the goings-on with the Leafs in the last Connor couple of days. Connor
3: Brown just signed for three years at $6.6 million, which is a pretty good price for him. He could end up being a 30-goal shooter in the
2: NHL. Yeah, I, I I thought that was uh, you know um, a, a, a judicious use of uh, of, of, of cap money. I, I'm I think Connor Brown's a good hockey player. I think he's got a future on the team. He's a keeper, and I think they got him at a pretty reasonable price. Uh, so kudos to Leaf Management, to Lou and to Mark and to Brendan. Uh, Keep up the good work. We're certainly getting excited uh, as we get into September. Thirty-eight uh, days to the Leafs. I know opener. you. I know Naz. You've been posting on uh, on Facebook, posting up a storm, telling us how many. How many days left of the season? And we've, we've got about 30 seconds left. And uh, NCAA football, Another. Uh, you're not wearing any Alabama stuff this week, no, Naz, but I'm yet. sure you're going to have it on next Saturday. I'm just telling you, I'm telling the listeners this year, normally the week before the season starts, I pull out my Rudy DVD and I watch it. But uh, Notre Dame had a pretty miserable season last year, so I ain't, I'm not pulling out my Rudy tape until they, they convince me that uh, it's going to be a good year.
3: Well, uh, who knows? It's always optimistic before the first game, Wally, so you never know. We'll like the Bills could go 16-0. and uh,
2: I don't s- think I, so. Somehow, I, you want to place a little wager on that <laughs> yeah. one, Ness? Anyways, we gotta, uh, we gotta go. we've got to go. Our time's up for the, for the week. Uh, and uh, to all our loyal listeners, have a fantastic week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning
0: at 9 a.m.